So, I want to begin the book of Ezra, because Ezra is a book that is full of hope. And I want to address this message, especially to our First Baptist Church of Holly family. Uh, If you're a virtual visitor, I pray this message blesses you. I think there will be things that will be helpful. Um, And and so I want to welcome you. I'm glad glad you're watching and hope that the Lord blesses you as you listen to his word. Uh, But want to speak especially to our church in this moment, in this time. And I want to say, I really believe that Our greatest days as a church are in the future. I believe that God is going to bless all who call on him in faith. And and I don't know exactly what that will look like for us. It may not look like anything that we have imagined. And yet I want to encourage you with some precious truths from Scripture And my reason for going to Ezra is I believe that it will bless us as a church. Ezra is not, to be clear, a promise of God's blessing. It's not. I cannot look at the book of Ezra and say to you for certain that God is going to bless in the same way that he did then. But what it is, is a blueprint for obedience not a promise of blessing. It is a blueprint for obedience. And I believe that as we devote ourselves to obey in the same way that we see saints of old obeying the Lord who found blessing, I believe that we can trust that God will bless us as we devote ourselves to obeying him. So to begin with the book of Ezra, I believe that we need to look a little bit at the backstory of Ezra. And so I want to give you a little bit of history because it's, it's easy to go to chapter 1, verse 1 of a book and, and to not know who those people are and what their history is and what they've been through. It, it might be a, like walking into our church for the very first time and, and you don't know anyone who's there and you have no sense of what has happened in our church and in our town. And in many ways, I still feel that way, even though I've been here for about four years now, four years in June. Uh, it, there are so many things that I don't know. There are so many stories that I haven't heard. And, and so one of the most important things that we can do is to just stop and listen and to appreciate both the the good things that have gone before and to celebrate them. Right now, I'm so thankful for the ways that our food ministry has been established for decades because it's so needed right now, and we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. It was already there, and so I'm thankful for the people that went ahead of us that established that. We can celebrate those things, and also you can hear about some of the things that have been hard, some of the things that have been painful, some of the ways that American Baptist churches have seen decline over the past 20 30 years and ways that we grieve the loss of camps that used to be much larger, that used to be more successful in a lot of ways. Uh, and we don't see some of the same exciting things that happened previously. And so as you appreciate where we're at as a church, it's good to pause and dig into history and to look at where we've come from. But I think it's even more important to look to the word of God to find where we should go. And that's what I believe happened in Ezra's day. So I want to spend this Sunday talking a little bit 
about their history, where they had come from, what had happened, and what God was going to do to bless them. And to begin with, before we go to the book of Ezra, I'm going to spend this week in the prophet Jeremiah and in Daniel. Because Ezra opens as a profound answer to prayer that was based in a specific promise of God. And my hope today is that you will dedicate yourself to praying every day with me for the future of our church and for the future of our town, that with humility we would dedicate ourselves individually and as a church to seeking the Lord together, asking him to bless. So let's look first at the history that comes before Ezra. And I've got three small points from Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32 is a passage that Daniel would have read. Excuse me, not Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 25. I've I've got a verse from Jeremiah 32 that I'll read in just a second. But Jeremiah 25 is a passage that Daniel read. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. And this is Daniel's Bible. This is what he was understanding had happened to the people. And this is the passage that gave him great hope and something specific to claim as he prayed. And so I want to point you to three things from Jeremiah chapter 25. And I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 13. Jeremiah is a prophet of God, speaks what God tells him to say. And verse 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. This was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now those, those names matter because this is real history. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at a specific time in a specific place when specific people were on the throne. And this is what God said And what Jeremiah spoke to all the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 3. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil ways and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with works of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. 
the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Now, Jeremiah says some things that are hard to hear. He calls out the sin of the people, but before he does that, he reminds them of God's blessing. He actually says to them, and this is a little later in the book, in in chapter 32, he describes how God had saved them and given them good things. In, In Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people of Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, and with great terror, and you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they entered and took possession of it. That describes God's salvation for his people. They were slaves in Egypt, and with power and miracles, he rescued them. Jeremiah has great faith that just like God did that in Egypt and at Jeremiah's day, that had been hundreds of years ago. He says, just like you were back then, you are the same God today. Just like you saw everything then, you see everything now. And he recognizes the goodness of God in past generations. Church, we have some good things to celebrate. God has been good to us in past generations. But unfortunately, Jeremiah doesn't stop with celebrating the goodness of God in the past. He goes on to describe his people's sin. And I want to be careful here because I'm not going to automatically say these sins are our sins exactly. But I think that we ought to pause as we are in a time that is hard. We are in a time that is uncertain. We are in a time that is fearful. We ought to pause and look at how God's people have heard his voice in the past and ask, is he speaking to us in a similar way now? Because Jeremiah didn't just celebrate the past and assume that the future would be good. Jeremiah confronted his people where they were at and said that they were in sin. So in verse 31 through 35, you may remember this. If you read through the the big picture Bible reading plan last week, this is a chapter we looked at. And Jeremiah says, speaking with God's words, that this city has aroused my anger and wrath. From the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened or received instruction." 
They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, although I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. In other words, they deliberately broke the commands of God and they did things that were horrifying. And because of that, God no longer blessed the people that he had once saved. And so their sin required discipline. And God's own people were disciplined. But Jeremiah doesn't leave it there. It's not a hopeless situation. And and although I cannot say to you as a person, or even I think to us as a church, that we are under the discipline of God, every painful situation is a test from God. I can certainly say that your faith and my faith is being tested now, and it's my prayer that we would be faithful in this time of testing to seek the Lord, to humble ourselves before him, with the psalmist to say, search me and see if there is any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in repentance so that I can experience good and future blessings. And so I read from Jeremiah 25, his future promise that this time of judgment for them would last 70 years. Now that sounds like a long time. You you can read the history at the end of 2 Kings and know a little bit more about why God had prophesied exactly this and exactly this way for his people. He, He did not say that Our current situation would last any specific time. He's not told us anything about it in his word. And yet, as we look at people who are responding to preaching, who are responding, because that's what Jeremiah does. He uses the word of God to speak to the people of God, to call them to repentance and faith. That's what preaching is. We speak the words of God to call people to faith. Jeremiah was the prophet that Daniel listened to. Now, maybe you don't know who Daniel is. He is another one of the the men that God used to speak to his people. Daniel is born in Babylon. So what happens is all of Jeremiah's prophecies come true. King Nebuchadnezzar marches against the city. It falls. He carries off captives and slaves and wealth. He destroys the city. He levels the temple so that there's no longer a place to worship God. And he carries hundreds of people to Babylon, forces them to march chain to chain. And for 70 years, they live and exist in captivity. Daniel is one of the people who made that march. Daniel is one of the people who was faithful to God, who in, in great difficulty sought to obey the Lord and wanted to trust in God's promises. And so that's the backdrop for Ezra. God judged his people because they were unfaithful and had not obeyed. And yet in that context of judgment and trial and testing, Daniel trusted that God would keep his promise to end the time of judgment and to begin a time of blessing. If you, if you read through Jeremiah 32, Last week, you would know that the second half of that chapter describes how God commits to bless his people. That judgment is not the final word. It's not the end. That there is always hope. And Daniel is a man who is devoted 
to the word of God and he reads Jeremiah. And so I've got four things that I want to say to you about Daniel. And if you have a Bible, I haven't asked you to turn to the passages because I've been in a couple of different passages so far. And so I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here because here's what I don't want you to miss. If you forget everything else I've said, know that the book of Ezra is a very real and specific answer to the prayer of Daniel. And if you're going to appreciate what happens and the way God's people are blessed, you need to understand that there were saints that came before Ezra who were on their knees begging for God to forgive and begging for God to bless. And so I want to show you how Daniel does that. And I want to suggest to you very specifically, you and I need to do the exact same thing. So to begin with, I've got four things that I want to show you Daniel does. Number one, Daniel is reading his Bible carefully. Daniel is reading his Bible carefully, and I hope that you are too. Daniel chapter 9, I'm just going to read the first two verses. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. In other words, Daniel read Jeremiah 25. Daniel believed that God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Daniel included Jeremiah with all of the Old Testament books that God had given his people. Daniel knew the books of Moses, he knew the the book of Leviticus, and Daniel recognized that the God that spoke through Moses that wrote down the law is the same God that spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, and he's reading all of it. He wants to understand what God has said, and he finds a precious jewel. He finds a precious promise that he can cling to. But he doesn't just read it and say, oh, now I understand. He makes it an issue of prayer. So my first point is that Daniel is dedicated in reading his Bible, and he reads it with great attention to detail. Jeremiah is a large book. He doesn't repeat that point. He read it so carefully and so diligently that he understood, hey, we've been in exile for for this many years, and and that means that our, our time of exile and this time of judgment should be drawing to a close. But Daniel does something, not only does he read his Bible and understand what God is doing, he makes that an issue of prayer. And I want to point to you a couple of things about how Daniel prays. So my second point, not only is Daniel reading his Bible carefully, Daniel doesn't blame someone else for what happened to God's people. Daniel doesn't blame someone else. Now, now church, I want to say this to you very carefully and very lovingly. I have heard so many people describe why our church experienced different types of problems. I've heard so many people say, you know, the culture has just changed. I have heard older people say, you know, it's, it's because younger people are unwilling to serve in the church. And younger people just don't care and they need to step up. And if they don't step up, you know, I'm done, I'm out. And, and so the older people actually blame the younger people. I've heard some of our younger people blame some of our older people for church problems and, and say, you know, they didn't let us lead when we were younger and they only want us to do the exact same things that they have done. And so we don't have any freedom to try different new things. And, and so the younger generation actually blames the older generation. And to be honest, I wasn't here for our history. So I don't know how much of either side is genuinely true. 
But I suspect that there's a little bit of truth in both sides. Daniel doesn't point fingers and say it was those people worshiping those idols that caused this. Daniel instead, when he reads a promise of God to bless his people after this time of judgment, Daniel falls to his knees and prays a prayer of confession. And I want to say to you that I believe the thing that I must do, that you must do, is we must own responsibility for our own sins and fall to our knees and ask God to bless us. But it begins with a careful confession of sin. So I'm going to show you what Daniel does. Look at me, look with me, Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and we have done wrong and we have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Now notice what Daniel does. He is the one who is carefully reading Jeremiah's prophecies. He is the one who carefully knows and understands the law. You know, you know, he's, he's looking at chapters like Leviticus 19 that lays out God's blessing and God's warning of judgment. He has listened. He doesn't say, Lord, those other people over there haven't listened and I just don't know what you're going to do because they're the problem. Daniel gets on his knees and says, we are the problem. And church, I believe that's what we need to do. Don't blame someone else. Don't wait for someone else to lead the way. Get on your knees and say, God, we have sinned. You know, I said that, that sometimes the younger generation in our church blames the older generation. Sometimes the older generation blames the younger generation. The truth is a lot of times both generations blame those outside the church. I've heard a lot of people say things like, you know, the culture has just walked away from God as if that's hopeless. You know what Daniel doesn't do? Daniel just, he doesn't say, you know, Babylon is just so monolithic. They're just so powerful. There's nothing we could do. It's hopeless. He never blames unbelievers for the problems of God's people. He gets on his knees and he says, God, I confess we have not obeyed God, I confess, we have not listened. God, I confess, we are guilty. And he owns responsibility because he's part of the people. And if you're part of the people, you are part of the problem. You cannot privately be faithful to God by yourself and watch the rest of the church go downhill. You are called to be part of the body, to lovingly pray, and not only to lovingly pray, but to lovingly speak. And so I want to say that all of us are part of the problem and all of us need to be willing to get on our knees and accept blame like Daniel does and ask God for mercy. Not only does Daniel not blame someone else, and here's another point that's kind of hard, Daniel recognized that God is righteous. I'm going to say that again. Daniel recognized that God is righteous. This is so hard because so many people right now are saying, you know, this coronavirus is just not something that God really has anything to do with. They, they might view it as an accident. They might view it as something that God just kind of took a step back and, and, and didn't have any control over or any say over. And in the same way, uh, they might say that the problems of the church in America uh, have nothing to do with God. 
as if that makes any sense. They, they might say, you know, God just lets people have their own free will, and if we choose to walk away, there's nothing he can do about it. Here's the thing. The whole scriptures speak to the reality that God is sovereign. If you say that there's nothing God can do, there's no reason for you to pray. There's no reason for you to do anything anything because you have no hope that God will do anything in the pu- in the future but if you believe that God is righteous and God is governing our days just like he did in Daniel's day just like he did in Moses day then you have every reason to trust him and to pray and to get on your knees so so Daniel recognizes that God is righteous i'm going to read you two verses that i think speak preciously and powerfully to our time he says in, in chapter 9 Starting in verse 7, he says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Now Daniel doesn't look at God and say, God, how could you allow a wicked nation to judge our sin? He doesn't say, God, you must not have been able to stop this and so we just hope that it's going to turn out. He says, you are righteous because you have caused this to happen and we are full of shame because it is our responsibility to obey you and to listen to you and we haven't. So Daniel recognized that God is righteous in all he does. I believe we need to recognize God is righteous in all he does now. God is not evil. He's not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt any one of us. But God, in his wisdom, in his love, in his mercy, uses all of the things that happen in our world to call us to Christ, to lead us to repentance, to remind us of his goodness. And Daniel, rather than saying God doesn't have anything to do with this, or rather than saying there's no hope, he says you are righteous because you have done this. And ours is the responsibility. Ours is the shame. Church, I believe that there are some things that we need to learn from how Daniel talks here. That we have great hope because God is still righteous and God is still sovereign. He is sovereign today. He is sovereign over First Baptist Church of Holly. He is sovereign over America. He is sovereign over the entire world. He is sovereign over the entire universe. If he weren't, there would be no point in praying. Not only is he sovereign, he is righteous and good. If you thought that God were sovereign but maybe evil, there would also be no point in praying because why would he listen? But if God is righteous and good and sovereign, then getting on your knees the way Daniel does makes all the sense in the world. Asking God for forgiveness for ways that we have sinned makes all the sense in the world. And Daniel not only leads in this prayer of repentance, he not only fasts, he not only prays, but Daniel asks God to keep his promise. Daniel asks God to keep his promise. So look with me at verses 17 through 19. And see what God says. Excuse me, 16. Daniel says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, 
Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, Lord, not for Daniel's comfort, not for Daniel's little Israeli dream, for God's sake, he says, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because of your city and your people are called by your name. Now church, look, we are called by the name of Jesus. We are Christians. We follow after Christ. The things that we do in this life matter. They matter deeply. And Daniel teaches us how to cry out to God. How to ask God for forgiveness. And I believe the most pressing need for our church today and this week is to humble ourselves before him. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, that if you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you in due time. And I want to invite you to humble yourself before God this week. And here's what I want to do. A couple of weeks ago, I gave a reading plan so that we would spend some time in the Word of God. And right now, you, you can download a prayer plan for this week. And I want to lead us in prayers of humility. I want to lead us in prayers of confession, but I also want to lead us in prayers of great hope that we will trust that God is a merciful God. That is the hope that Daniel had. And when you go to the book of Ezra, you realize that Daniel, that, that Daniel had his prayer answered, that God did send people back to Israel. The temple was rebuilt. The people were blessed. That Daniel's prayers were heard. And friends, God has not changed. God will hear your prayers. He will hear my prayers. Why? Not because we are righteous. I'm not. You're not. But because Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. And he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And Jesus Christ said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And resting in the work of Christ, we can have enormous confidence. So church, I believe that we need to begin where Daniel began. And I want to invite you to begin right now. And I also want to ask you to commit to praying every day that God would have mercy on our nation, on our world, and on our church. Would you commit to praying every day? Would you pray with me now? Church, this has been a hard message. I desperately wish that I could see your faces. But I believe as we call out to God, even although we are separated, that God in his loving kindness and goodness and mercy will answer 
will forgive and will bless. Father in heaven, like Daniel, Lord, I want to confess before you, we've not faithfully listened to your word. Father, we love our traditions and our culture more than your clear instructions. When your word confronts us, we say, that's not for this time and this place. Father, we are guilty of neglecting worship together. We love our leisure more than we love your fellowship. Father, we are guilty of neglecting your clear commands when we are tempted to break them We find excuses and justifications for ignoring what you have said. Father, we have not been devoted to prayer. Father, we are not giving our all to you and building your kingdom and your church. Very often we are building our kingdom and our lives and giving you whatever is left over. Father, I know that there are faithful saints who have loved you, who have been praying, who are praying, who have been giving, who are giving. But Lord, our country is not that way. And not all in our church have been faithful. I ask for your mercy. I ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, with boldness, because of the blood of Jesus, I even ask for your blessing on us. God, grant us the kind of faithfulness so that no matter what happens in America or the world, that we would cling to you, trusting in your promises, hoping in eternal life, being made ready to see Jesus face to face. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.